Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello, and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the story itself, and about the craft, culture, and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan, and I am your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode 13 of Fireside. Unlucky for some, but not for this one. It's a story about someone who was unlucky appropriately enough, but whose fortunes turn around, and I totally designed it that way. This was totally not by accident that we have, for unlucky number 13, they have the story of someone who is unlucky. Well, to be fair, most of these stories about someone who's unlucky in some way or another. Anyway, do you remember that game 13 that was on, like, the PS2? It was like a... It was like a cell shade or a cell animation. It was like comic book. You like went from different panels. Total side note, but that was written in Roman numerals as well. Anyway, getting back to things. Welcome to the 13th episode of Fireside. If it's your first time listening, why don't you check out the first one? We're building up to a little rhythm here. Um, And if you're a returning listener, thank you so much. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. It's great knowing that this podcast is growing slowly but surely, and we want to keep growing it and take it on, take on the world. And please do continue to subscribe, to leave reviews and ratings on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. It very much is appreciated, and it does make a difference. I am calling to you from, calling to you, recording this from, from where am I? I'm in Silver Lake, Los Angeles. The city of angels, LA. Yeah, I'm here. It's gas. It's a mental city altogether. I've been in California for the last few days. Um, I'm on tour currently with Celtic Knights, Irish music show, doing a US tour. We're doing a tour of US and Canada. I have a makeshift pop shield that I've made to avoid further plosives that I am holding in my fist. I am holding a coat hanger with a sock over it. And this is this is how committed I am to bringing you your weekly story, is that I am for the next hour or so, or 40 minutes as it'll be to you, uh, going to be holding a sock in front of my face on a coat hanger. Uh, it's a clean sock, it is, so at least there's that. You know, you got to take the little victories of this. But if it means a better audio a better fidelity, more fidelitous, if that is a word, fidelitous, um, as in like the high fidelity quality for you, the listener, that I am willing to accept that um, as my penance until I can get a more semi-permanent pop shield to bring around on the road with me. Blind Boy from the Rubber Bandits, <clears throat> the king of Irish podcasting, he has, uh, 
you often hear him talking about having a glove, talking into a glove, which he puts over the microphone. I'm in California, so I don't have a glove. Um, to be fair, I've been mostly in snowy places, states so far. I've been in Oregon and Washington, where it's been very cold, and I didn't have gloves there either. I'm flying to Michigan tomorrow, which is where the polar vortex was. I won't have gloves for that either, so if I lose my hands, it's my own fault, and it would save me holding a coat hanger in front of my face. This is a story... Um, that the version I found of it was called the Legend, a Legend of Knock Grafton, which was one that popped up a bit, but wasn't one I paid a huge amount of attention to. Yeah, it's a story that the very first episode of this podcast, which was the Giant's Causeway, that's known in the folklore books as a Legend of Knock Many, and so this was the Legend of Knock Grafton. So I think I either confuse it, like, understandably enough, piled them together or didn't differentiate between them or just overlooked them because I usually look, especially when I'm looking at a vast array of podcasts or of folklore stories, the name counts for a lot. A name, you know, <clears throat> is one that has to jump out at you. I often end up renaming them um, as certain stories anyway, like certain stories that are too long, like names are too long or too this or too that. Um but this wasn't one that jumped out at me. But in the book where I got the tobacco quest from, uh, which was the Irish Gothic fairy stories from the 32 counties, a book I got over Christmas, um, this book, this story wasn't in it, but I heard it referenced. Someone referenced it as, uh, one of the writers referenced it as like this famous story. And I didn't realize this was a story that had the renown that it did. And once I actually got involved in it and read it again properly i very quickly understood why and i hope you will too i have renamed it the hunchback of Knockgrafton after its title its title character and also to have echoes with victor hugo um, it very much is the irish of irish hunchback of notre dame with a slightly um slightly happier ending certainly for the hunchback than the victor hugo novel if you're familiar if you're familiar with the disney film the hunchback of notre dame the novel has a much much darker ending i suggest you check it out so this is the hunchback of knock grafton on fireside the hunchback of knock grafton in the irish language on Leanta Nashaktana, or the days of the week, in order are as follows De Luan, De March, De Cadin, De Erdin, De Hina, De Sahan, August De Downach. Which might interest you to know in general, whether you're Irish or not, but are worth remembering for the following tale. In the beautiful glen of Aherlow, at the foot of the Galti Mountains in Tipperary, there once lived a young man who was born with a hunch on his back. He was loved by his family, but was mocked and shunned by the rest of the people of Aherlow. They would call him Lusmore, which is the Irish term for the flower, the foxglove, a tall plant with pink bell-shaped blossoms. They called him this because the boy would wear the stem of a foxglove in his hat. He had a great interest in herbs and plant life, so the nickname did not bother him too much. In fact, in time he grew to like it. Lusmore was also a gifted singer, but where his greatest talents lay were in the weaving and plaiting of straw. He would plait straw into hats and baskets that he would sell all over the country. He moved from place to place at a far slower pace than most, due to the hump on his back, 
but even still, Lusmore made more money from plaiting straw than anyone else in Ireland. One day, while travelling back from the town of Cahar, near Kappa, in the neighbouring county of Waterford, Lusmore came across the moat of Knock Grafton, a broad and watery ditch that surrounded the smashed remains of an old castle. Because of the slow pace at which he walked, it was dark when Lusmore was passing Knockgrafton, so he decided to rest for the night, in the relative safety of the castle grounds. When he had settled in for the night, Lusmore began to hear the faintest sound of music. A simple phrase, but beautiful. The more he listened, the clearer the words became. De Luan de Mart, De Luan de Mart, De Luan de Mart. Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. Lusmore had never heard such music. Even in its simplicity, there was something about the tune that seemed different, ethereal to him. The only problem was, that was all there seemed to be to the song. Lusmore would hear that phrase sung, and then the music would stop. And then the phrase would be sung again. It was beautiful for the first three or four times he heard it, but by the sixth, seventh, eighth time, Lusmore began to get frustrated. Not just at the repetition, but Lusmore hungered for more to the song, or at least for the phrase to be resolved. There is a phrase in music called a cadence which is a sequence of notes or chords which ends a piece or phrase of music. You'd definitely know one if you heard it. In simpler terms, it's how you know a song or the line of a song is over. Being musically gifted as he was, Lusmore was frustrated by the lack of a cadence to this otherwise perfect musical phrase. He waited until the singing began again. De Luan de Mart, De Luan de Mart, De Luan de Mart. Except this time, at the end of the line, Lusmore offered his own addition. August eighteen, and Wednesday too. After Lusmore had sung this, there was once again a silence, for slightly longer than usual. The hunchback began to worry, until to his relief. The music began once more, except this time Lusmore's ending was included. De Luan de Mart, De Luan de Mart, De Luan de Mart, August de Cadine. Lusmore's initial joy quickly turned to horror as he felt many little pairs of hands all grab onto him. He struggled to free himself from their grasp, but they were too strong. The young boy felt himself be pulled into the tree and underground. He blacked out. When he came to, Lusmore found himself surrounded by many little bearded men. He did not need to be told. He could see their red caps. He knew these were the fairies. This could only mean trouble. Or did it? Lusmore had always been accused of being a changeling by the crueler boys in his class. Maybe this was true, and maybe he had finally been brought home. When the fairies realised that Lusmore was awake, they all gave a great cheer. It must be true. He must be a fairy child. That explained the hump, his musical ability. One of the fairies approached the hunchback and said, Welcome, young man. 
Are you my father? The fairy looked puzzled. Did you hit your head on the way down here? I told you all to be careful with him. He turned and said to the others. Maybe he hurt his back. He's got a bump on it, said one fairy. He had that when we grabbed him, said another. Oh yeah, I knew that. Sure you did. Quiet, all of you, said who appeared to be the head fairy. I didn't hit my head, said Lusmore, but I have all my life been called a fairy changeling because of my deformity, so I thought I had finally been brought home. Ah, Jesus, wouldn't he break your heart, said a fairy from the back of the group. Son, or, or rather, young man, corrected the head fairy, no, we are not your family, and to our knowledge, anyway, no, you are not a fairy, but you do have the gift of a fairy. Greater, in fact, I have to admit. What are you talking about? asked Lusmore. What I'm talking about is that we have been singing that tune for many years and have never been able to finish even that one line. We knew the line we had so far was perfect, so we agonized over finishing it. It was a lot of pressure, said a fairy. It was, said the head fairy, and then suddenly you come along and did what we never could. You finished our phrase. There was a mighty cheer, filled with hups and fair plays and good man yourselves. I took from the initial fear in your eyes that you well know that it's a dangerous game to play with dealing with us, especially our tunes. But this gamble has paid off for you. I cannot make you a fairy, but I can make it that no one ever accuses you of being a changeling again. Lusmore suddenly felt a great weight fall from him, like he had been lifting a boulder all his life that he had just been relieved of. He turned around to discover his hump had fallen from his back and lay on the ground. Lusmore looked in disbelief, until he found himself standing up straight for the first time in his life. The former hunchback was overjoyed, and he spent the rest of the evening singing and dancing and eating and drinking with the fairies, until he once again although this time from the drink, passed out. When Lusmore came to, he found himself lying in a field. He was sorry he had woken up from what seemed to have been the most wonderfully bizarre dream. But his head ached, meaning he had actually been drinking the night before. So he quickly stood up and went to grab his hump. It was gone. It had really happened. He had spent time with the fairies and lived to tell the tale. Not only that, but he had been relieved of his hunch. And to top it all off, the fairies had even dressed Lusmore in a brand new suit. The changed man, not the changeling man, as he would have pointed out, made his way home to the Glen of Aherlow. Nobody recognized him as he passed. It was only when he would introduce himself people would realize it was him. He told anyone who would listen his story. It was easy for people to laugh, but harder for them to disbelieve. There was no doubt about it. Lusmore was transformed, inside and out. Lusmore's story became famous all over the country, but soon life for the young man returned to normal. He went back to plaiting and weaving his straw, searching for herbs and plants and singing the tunes that would pop into his head. 
It is rare that a human encounter with the other folk ends happily, and surely enough, Lusmore's encounter did. But sadly, and inevitably, that is not where this story ends. One day, an older woman came to Lusmore's door. Are you the hunchback of Knockrafton? she asked. Former hunchback, more so, but I think I'm who you're looking for, yes, said Lusmore. I have walked from Waterford to Tipperary to find you. That's some stretch. My own son has been cursed with a hump from birth and has suffered greatly all his life because of it. He's grown up now. But word has reached us of your cure. Can you please help us? Lusmore had always been kind and felt sympathy for the woman and for her son. So he told her every detail of what had happened, in the hopes that her son would have as much luck as he had. The mother's son was named Jack Madden. Jack Madden was a very different sort to Lusmore. He was crafty, cunning, and impatient. Who could blame him, really, after a lifetime of ridicule he had endured all his life? The moment his mother returned and told him what she had learned, Jack Madden had a horse and cart bring him straight to the moat of Knockgrafton. It was still daytime when Jack arrived, and he waited impatiently for night to fall. He would repeatedly call out to the fairies, but there was no answer. Jack nearly gave up hope, until at last he heard the sound of the song. Day loon, day mart, day loon, day mart, day loon. Without thinking and without even waiting until the end of the phrase, Jack called out, Day dirty nagus day hina. Thursday and Friday. Jack thought this was rather clever. The addition of one day to the fairy rhyme had earned Lusmore a cure for his hump and a new suit. Surely the addition of two days would earn Jack two suits. Jack waited until, sure enough, the many fairy hands emerged from the shadows and dragged Jack down into the underworld. They were rough enough with him, pulling and tearing at his clothes before throwing him down when they reached their home. That is a fine way to reward me, thought Jack. The fairies gathered around Jack Madden, and the head fairy emerged from the crowd. I hope you were rough with this one, he said. Oh, we certainly were said a fairy foot soldier. Good, said the head fairy. Jack saw the devilish glint in the fairy's eyes, which struck deep fear within his soul. Jack Madden, for daring to destroy our cherished and beloved music, we have brought you here to be justly punished. You sought to be cured of that hump, but you were also greedy, so you will be rewarded as such. The fairy struck Jack on the head. When the hunchback awoke in the same field Lusmore had, he found his body was bruised and mangled, and worst of all, he had two humps on his back. The fairies had taken the hump they had removed from Lusmore and put it to new use. Jack Madden returned home, but died soon after from the injuries he had sustained from the fairies. It was a lesson to all to never get involved with fairy music and to know that even when the fairies are kind, to never question them, and never expect the same kindness yourself. The End
that, as they say, as who says, me say, is the legend of Knock Grafton, the story of the Hunchback of Knock Grafton, um, in a shocking turn of events. <laughs> Do you ever record voice messages on WhatsApp and you record like a particularly long one to your friend or your significant other and then you send it only to realize A, that it hasn't sent at all and that you ended up deleting it or worse, that like through a microphone issue your headphones not being plugged in properly that it's just like nine minutes of white noise and you've literally just been talking into the phone uh, for nothing and you have to record it all again Uh, well that hasn't quite happened Um, I got all the story done there's a pause there's a pause function on the zoom which I've been considering the most devilish temptation of all because um, in the Head Stuff Podcast Network studios I go in they start the take and I record the whole episode as one take which I love because it has the real proper live storytelling feel and of course I make uh, mistakes a plenty a dozen and um, Jamie my wonderful editor will edit them out he has to sift through all my I'm going to take that again and I'm going to tell you and all my mistakes and everything and I'm very appreciative for him and he makes it sound all professional and not like I'm just talking to myself in a room Um. so when I got the equipment the mobile equipment that I have a lot more control over than I necessarily would in the studio, I thought that the thing to surely do was to try and record exactly the same way and just press record, press play and record and just listen to it and just do it and talk for an hour, mistakes and all, uh, don't stop, don't pause, don't rewind, don't try and get it perfect, just do it exactly the same. Well, I paused... Once I finished recording the story there, maybe just to glance over or to check a piece of information. Yeah, I looked up to check up a, a date, a date an album was recorded that I'll tell you now in a sec. Um, and I'd say I press play again and I talk for a good like 10 minutes. And then I looked at the recorder and I hadn't pressed record. So I had been just talking out loud in this kitchen, in the middle of Silver Lake, um, to absolutely no one. And I'm a little bit raging about it. Could have been the whole episode, to be fair. Could definitely have been worse. My own stupid fault. I mean, there's a big red recording sign that needs to be on. Um, which now is, I hope. Yes, yes it is. Um, but to be honest, I got that little tale out of it, so I hope you enjoyed that, eh? There's the saying, it's either a good experience or a good story. So hopefully that was a good story. And I hope you enjoyed the story that we told today. Uh, the Legend of Knockgrafton. The Hunchback of Knockgrafton, as I call it. Yeah. There's a good few reasons I like this story. It's quite contained. It's a real nice, real nice little folktale, real nice little fairy tale. I really like good characters and kind of good... I don't like the word message, but in the last episode, last folklore episode, which was the Tobacco Quest... Um, for those who have or haven't listened to it, um, I spoke about how in nearly all stories to do with the interactions between humans and the other folk, uh, it's the humans 
uh, or the fairies are messing over the humans. They're always uh, cursing them or robbing them or killing them. And the lesson is always just don't mess around with them. Don't get involved with the fairies. And what's nice about the tobacco quest is it's actually the fairies being quite kind to someone and for no real reason at all, um, which also just seems to be how they roll. It's just really up to themselves. Um, but this is this is a lovely cautionary tale because you get to see two examples. You get to see two totally different examples of two very similar but very different people uh, messing around with the exact same group of fairies. Um, you got the lovely Lusmore, um, lovely character, and him getting blessed, and then you have poor old Jack Madden. Um, <laughs> so no no fairy story can totally end in in total happiness for any human. It's. I went on a bit of a tangent in the last recording that I can hopefully condense because I do stand by it. Uh, that I think, in many ways, certainly from this story, you get the impression that Irish fairies, fairies in Irish folklore, certainly are a bit like the Las Vegas of folklore. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Uh, David Mamet, the great playwright, one of the best, uh, wrote unbelievable plays like uh, American Buffalo and Glengarry Glen Ross. Um, he has this great saying um, where he talks about how L.A., he doesn't, ironically enough that I'm there right now, um, he doesn't think L.A. is a great place to live. He thinks L.A. is a horrible place to live. But he said, you know, it's the cliche of people getting off the bus every day who want to be an actor, actress, want to become movie stars. I said, uh, the thing about it is that does happen. Like people do step off the bus and become movie stars. I said, if that didn't happen to anyone, no one would go there. No one would go to L.A. And here's the other example of in Las Vegas. If no one ever won in Las Vegas, no one would ever go there. Um, and I think you can really compare that now with Irish folklore. Because in all these fairy stories, the lesson always is don't get involved with them. If you see a fairy, stay away. Just don't. And yet people are constantly, constantly getting involved. And it's obviously just because the odd time, they're so powerful, they're so magical that the odd time, they might they might be kind to you. They might grant you a wish. Even though Lusmore doesn't go searching for it. So that's, that's the kind of cool message of this from that point of view, is that Lusmore doesn't go searching for this and he's blessed because of it. And then Jack Madden goes looking for it and ends up far worse because of it. And of course, dies. Poor old Jack Madden dies from the weight of his two humps, hum, humps and the absolute hiding that he got off the fairies. But there are a few other reasons I like this story. Um, one, of course, is there's a lovely bit of Irish and this lovely bit of the Irish language. Um, and I, to my great shame, have said a few times before, uh, do not speak the Irish language, but have a great desire to learn and like um, do what I can. And certainly this year, I'm not really one for New Year's resolutions, but I set myself the New Year's resolution this year uh, to get at least conversational with the Irish language, which is going okay so far. People are very supportive of it. I, even on the tour I'm doing right now, there are a few people fluent, um, which is really nice. Um so I could have the bit of a chat with them the odd time. Just a little bit, you know, like, because I'm still... Now, to be fair, I need to get a bit braver about it because, like, I hear people sometimes speaking and I'm like, I don't want to make a fool of myself with my with my couple of fuckle. Um, 
but this story has a, but I love any opportunity to get to explore it and these stories particularly the myths but big time with this folktale um, have given me the opportunity to learn little bits here and there there are nearly always translations um, in the books uh, this is one though for example Lusmore the hunchback's character's name there was no translation for what that name meant um, and it was just it just I knew that it was supposed to be a slag I knew that this was a criticism from the boys that giving him this name but it didn't say what it meant so I had to look up and it turns out Lusmore is the name for a foxglove and I Usually thought fox glove like a glove made out of fox skin. Um, no, it's a flower. I'm no, I'm no herbologist. Maybe that's really common flower. Maybe that's everyone knows that. Maybe nobody knows that. But I know that now, and I loved that. I loved it. Added an extra level of of detective work, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, to to researching the podcast, finding out what that meant, finding little translations here and there, and of course, it having the days of the week. It adds. It gives a real. It's like an Irish folklore episode of Sesame Street or something, because while my fa- one of my favorite things about Irish folklore is that I I love how adult it is, and I think that's a big thing more than ever. And like thing I, that draws me to it most of all is that I think like most adults, of course, understandably enough, associate with folklore and fairy tales with children, and for not yeah for good reason all the time. But like so many of them are aimed at everyone and they are universal and that's why they're enduring and so I encourage more adults to read them and to reread them um, but there's no denying that like yeah there's a reason why they're read to children a lot of them you know especially the grim tales um, and like just the early values of complexities and like good and bad and like not so good and not so bad that we can teach people with it but this is a lovely example of like and I love like teaching a very young child the days of the week in Irish through a cautionary tale about fairies. I love the idea of that. Um, I'd certainly like to tell that. It's a real, it's a real song, by the way. This is, this is what got me in trouble. Pausing it to look this up is what got me in trouble. I knew it was a real song anyway. Um, Because in one of the versions I found of this story online, there had sheet music. And I... I can read sheet music, but I'm not the best sight singer. Um, which is just when you like look at music you haven't heard before and you just sing the notes. So it wouldn't be the very best. I'm okay. Um, but so I was trying to sight sing this piece and I could see it going up and down, up and down. I was trying to get a, an idea of the melody. So I just thought I'd YouTube and I thought on the odd chance someone had recorded it at some stage. And it turns out, yeah, it's a, it's a real song. I found a version by an artist named Mary O'Hara. Um, from an album called Songs of Ireland from 1967. Real old school album has that real, like, you can hear the scratch of the LP, like, listening to it through. Really eerie, real kind of creepy almost, just that really repetitive. And it worked so well, so I said, I wanted to do, I, I wanted to do that exact, that exact version of it. Um, and yeah, apologies to any hardcore Mary O'Hara fans, or even Mary O'Hara herself, as it turns out, she's still alive. She was born in 1935 in Sligo, and she's still alive, and she plays the harp as well. Um, so I apologise if she's really famous. I did not know her. Um, I'm, I might have said on this before, I'm an enormous fan of the Clancy Brothers, and 
I'm reminded of when they, the sound of Mary O'Hara's album reminded me a lot of their first couple of recordings. The Clancy Brothers' very first album was recorded in an apartment in New York with the four of them sitting around a tape recorder, basically. And Paddy Clancy, the eldest, just had a young child. And the, it was like a one-bedroom apartment and the child had to be in there. And, like, Paddy Clancy's wife had to, like, hold her mouth over, or her hand over the child's mouth while they recorded the album. Uh... So that wins. That's a step above having to hold a coat hanger with a sock over it in front of your face. That wins there. But you ever listen to get a chance to listen to the Clancy with the very first album? It's it's raw, as Liam, Liam would Liam would tell you himself, um, or tell you tell me he is dead. But as he has said in interviews, um, but it's it's good raw. But you hear that again, that real scratch of the LP, that like real like non non-high quality um but that was that was kind of the final thing that i really loved about this story was um getting to deal with music you know, getting to deal with the irish and getting to deal with the music because uh, i love music so much i mean that's as i said this is this is why i'm in america i'm doing a tour of an irish music show and um, i've loved i've loved california i've loved all the spots that i've been um but i've just spent the last few days off in California, in LA, with my best friend, through an unbelievable, fortuitous amount of circumstances, um, we had a show in Glendora, just about half an hour outside LA. My best friend Rory was just in LA. He's working over here. He's been a big shot, and um, he came to see the show. And we happened to have we traveled by sleeper bus on the tour, and we happened to have a few days off. Uh, before our next show in Michigan, which is way, way across the country. And uh, the guys were driving, taking a couple of days off along the way. And uh, Rory just invited me to stay in his apartment that he has over here. And now I'm flying to Michigan tomorrow. So I got a, a lovely few days off in L.A. Really got to see a lot of it. Anyone who's from L.A. might listen to this podcast. You have a beautiful city, very sprawling, very bizarre, very mad. There kind of is no L.A., it's that spread apart. Can't can't walk anywhere. Everywhere you have to drive. And I don't drive. Certainly not over here. Uh, or at all. I don't know why I said over here. Um, but I was never more inspired to drive than having spent a few days in LA. But I really loved it here. Look forward to hopefully getting a chance to come back. Um, and speaking of storytelling to tie it in a little bit. I went to... Um, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theatre last night. Really famous uh, comedy group. Um, Amy Poehler and like Adam McKay and all them, like really great comedians. They all started there. Um, but I went to I went to one of their shows last night and it was brilliant. It was like ten short comedic plays. Or it was six, six short comedic plays. And some of it was some of the funniest stuff I'd seen on stage. It was really really inspiring for me to go back and like go back writing and um and recording even this today it gave me a real lift i hope you can hear that in my voice i got really excited about the prospect of storytelling and podcasting again not that i'd lost it at all but it's always nice to get that extra kick and that extra boost um every step of the way so i think i'll fairly much wrap it up there um i hope i didn't leave anything out that was in my original 10 minutes of recording extra uh, which I'm sure was all absolutely gold. After next week's episode, which is One More Myth, which is the last story in the mythological cycle, if you can believe that, 
and um, certainly for the time being. Um, we're going to get into, I got a great book on American folk tales, um, and we're going to try and marry a couple of Irish American folk tales. I know certainly what the first one I'm going to be doing is. Really looking forward to doing that. Hope you are too. Keep keep plugging this. Keep telling your friends. Keep leaving subscriptions, subscribe and leaving ratings on iTunes. Please do. And the podcast is growing more and more each day. And I want to keep this momentum up. I want this to become good. I want this to become pop popular. Not popular, just strong, good. I want people to hear it. Um, and give me your feedback. Your feedback is always appreciated. I love getting messages. Got a message from someone from America there. Um, and yeah, I love that. I love the idea of having it spreading so much. I'll keep going before I ramble any further. But as a final note, I would like to dedicate this episode to Mr. Dara Healy, um, who is the Bowron and box player in Celtic Knights, who I'm on tour with at the moment. Why? Because Dara's just started listening to Fireside. He downloaded an episode during the week, and he downloaded all the rest to listen to on the long drive to Michigan. And it touched my heart. I appreciated it so much. Um, so thank you, Dara. And you're a good man. You're a different gravy. Hop mayo. Uh, and I will see you, all the rest of you again by the fireside. Goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.